and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing American Fiction, Saltburn, Godzilla Minus One, Silent Night, and The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Wow. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer, Craig Stanton. What's up, boys? What's going on, Bill? Longest intro we've probably ever done. Longest two days of my life. Boys, I'm going to be completely honest and transparent. You know me. I think the listeners probably know me. Oh, God. I'm a very open person. I've been battling a <laughs> a fucking war in the bathroom the last oh two days. God. I don't know what's going on. Is... I don't know what I did. I don't know if it's payback from a previous life or Thanksgiving or this like is... something I did over the weekend. But hell hath no fury of your colon. Yeah. Yeah. It's Great. it's an it's an angry game. But I'm happy to be here. I'm gonna try to keep the energy up. Yep. And the fluid's down, and we're just going to have a fun time. Uh, Craig was complaining that he got a flu shot earlier. He got his probably 17th COVID booster, and his arm hurts. And I'm over here grabbing ankles and ripping off fucking towel bars. I'm just glad that you are recording from your normal recording spot, and you didn't try to multitask in this situation. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm loyal. The echo in there would have just been murder. Yeah, I'm not fair. that loyal. Oh, I would have started singing Sia songs in there. All right. That's to say nothing of the background noise. <laughs> Bill. Yeah. Uh, what's been up, boys? Bill? In life, not much. Uh, getting ready for the holidays. I have finished my uh, Christmas shopping. Done. Locked and Already? loaded. I'm, yeah, I'm, I am. Jesus ready. Christ. So that's been a nice accomplishment to get that taken care of. But that's, uh, that's basically it for me. Bought and wrapped or only bought? Oh, wrapped and all, ready to move into the trunk of my car at a moment's notice. You must do the wrapping the, at the. Do you, go, do you go to the kiosk at the mall? You pay. You pay somebody to do. No, it, don't I you? do not. I wrap my own presents. Thank you very much. Now, are you a meticulous and fastidious, perfect present wrapper? No. <laughs> what he does, he lays everything out. He gets a scissor. He probably has a, a a sharpener for his scissors. I was just about to say. I bet. I bet Bill's scissors are sharp as shit. Yep. He pours. He pours a heavy three-finger pour of whole milk, two ice cubes. Drop an ice cube in. All right. Yep. Okay. First of all, ice in the milk, obviously. Second of all, I do lay everything out. But third of all, my wrapping is not great, so I do rely on gift bags with tissue paper instead oftentimes. If it's a oh, box. lazy. But it keeps it, it, yeah, it, keeps it neat, yeah, though. It's a good-looking gift bag. If it's a box of some kind... Uh, I will wrap it. But any any irregular object, I'm it's going in a gift bag. I'm not dealing with it. Mm. I'm sorry. So, I'm sorry. All those family members that are hoping or asking for <laughs> trapezoid shaped presents, yeah, it's, it's gonna be in a bag. A bag. Sure. If you ask, if you ask for a basketball this year from Bill George, forget about it. <laughs> We all know how those come from the store. You got them <laughs> with the, the, yeah, with the bulging with the on the sides, sticking out, yeah. <laughs> bulging, yeah. I've done no, well. Hannah's done most of the shopping. I've done nothing, literally nothing. But you got the lights up. We talked about that. Yeah, Christmas lights are up. Tree's been up. Tree's been up since November first. Okay, so it's really just the shopping. Left. So like the halls are decked. My, my I've decked it. Decked. It seems like your halls are decked. They, they seem decked. There's a there's a hard deck going on, um, but the in terms of pomp and circumstance, I got nothing. Yeah, no, nothing yet. Okay. Uh, okay. What have you watched? What have you been dabbling in? Uh, what do you got? I will start with something I listened to that is Ooh. related to this podcast. 
I listened to a new audiobook after I finished the Napoleon one. And it was about 1999 being the best movie year ever, which is a topic that we've never done like a full deep dive on it, but we've alluded to the fact that amongst cinephiles, uh, there's always a discussion of what year was the best year for movies. 1999 comes up probably the most frequently as well as 2000, 2007, 84, 85. There's a handful you could pick from. You're a big 07 guy. Historically, I would say you're, you're a big 07 guy. I, you know, I was until this book, which reminded me of even more than like... Have you no principles? Hey, look, what new was information. Well, for, for, re, bring us back to the year. Okay, so it, it takes you, the book takes you through the year by movie by movie with like little, not every movie obviously, but the big ones, with little history sort of about the movie, the making of the movie, its reception, how well it did. And it goes by the year itself. So it starts in the winter, January, and moves through the year. And... It's really great. It's really interesting. Every one of these like chapters about different movies gave you just the right amount of information about the movie where like I an audiobook about just that movie would probably be too much, but this gives you like it scratches that itch. So, uh Blair Witch uh I mean, I'll just rattle them off for you at this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, I'll stop you. Uh Blair Witch, Run Lola Run, Office Space, The Matrix. Uh Varsity Blues, she's all that cruel intentions, then things I had about you, like all kind of Group together. Election, Jeez. Rushmore, Phantom Menace, Galaxy Quest, Eyes Wide Shut, Sixth Sense, American Beauty, Fight Club, Three That was Kings, all in 1999? The Insider, Boys Don't Cry, Magnolia, Being John Malkovich. Like, insane. Well, everyone... Ev- that reads like the roster of the 1999 MLB All-Star Game at Fenway Park. <laughs> well, everyone thought the world was going to end in, in the year 2000. Y2K. Y2K so they Big were like, you know what? What's your best ideas? We're putting them out in 99. Well, that was cool. what was interesting, too, is they weave in the zeitgeist at the time, the cultural uh, sort of implications at the time, Y2K, the history of the year. Like, really well done book. Highly recommend. It's just called 1999 Best Movie Year Ever. Periods in between every word. Got it on Audible, uh, and it's only like, I think it was only 10 or 12 hours. Like, it's an easy listen. Uh, yeah, great. For the only other thing that I watched recently besides the copious movies we're about to review, I revisited uh, Two Towers and Return of the King, but I did it with liberal fast-forwarding. And I can tell you, when you skip the stuff that you don't like, those movies, really good. <laughs> so you, you didn't even do Fellowship? I've seen Fellowship enough times that I was like, I don't need to revisit this. But it's been years since I've seen the other two. And I don't know what popped in my head, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw them on. But I fast-forwarded all of the tree scenes with the Ents, and I fast-forwarded every scene with Gollum because Gollum is so fucking annoying. And let me tell you, when you just watch the action and the political drama, uh, it's phenomenal. They're better than I remembered them. Full or director's cut? Theatrical. I don't mess with the theatrical, copious. Well, it's the BG cut, which is the director's cut minus the parts he doesn't yes, like. Yes, exactly. All the walking, all the walking, and yeah. the 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 sexual tension between Frodo and Sam. Don't gone. need it. Don't need it. Excise it. <laughs> Excise it. Get rid of it. And yeah. Anyway, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was a fun revisit. That's what about you? Miserable. I feel like this podcast will get a lot less interesting if you make a habit of watching movies in that fashion. <laughs> I mean, no, usually they don't call for it, but this three hours, these do. Yeah, totally. I could totally see myself doing that. <laughs> um, what did I watch? I didn't yeah, watch did much. Watch? So my child has um, 
he gets into these like fixations. Sure. Probably. It's a kid thing. I'm sure it's fine. Developmental. Uh, that's I'm sure. <laughs> um, so he gets like attached to movies. We have watched the 2021 or ni- 2019 Grinch animated film from Illumination. With Benedict Cumberpatch? With Cumberbick, Darnold Dar, Rabbitich, Cumberbach, Carber English. We've watched it 812 times in the last three weeks. I mean, I can recite the entire thing from the top of my head right now. It's such a cool, cute movie, Bill. Really? You know how many times I've watched it? Zero. So this is all news to me. So it's you're saying it's worth a watch? Should I go see it? I mean, Illumination, Illumination does some... Sure. Great shit. Like they 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 have a, a house style. They do it really well. They have a big name cast. It's narrated by Pharrell, I believe. It's just a cool new take on the story that we've seen a million times, but he loves it. And I've watched it more times than I've ever wanted to watch a Grinch movie. Um, so that's pretty much all I got in the docket. Okay. Maybe I'll give it a shot. Don't. I mean, it's not like you're not going to oh, like okay. love it, but like it's a kid's movie. Sure. From Illumination. Uh, The last thing I wanted to talk about before we move on, I would be remiss if we did not discuss. You got to you got to talk about the Grand Theft Auto six trailer that finally dropped uh, last night as of this recording. And this is uh, the most expensive video game ever made. The most anticipated video game ever made. It will be the highest grossing video game ever made. Without a doubt. And you've got 90 seconds to talk about it starting now. Go. (laughs) Before Craig cuts us off. Uh, I mean, it looks amazing. I mean, these trailers, they almost always, as far as I know, make them with in-game footage. So this, and if you look at the vistas and the map and the overhead shots, it's incredible. The people still are a little cartoony, which is like, is part of Grand Theft Auto's thing. And it helps, I think, with with the processing needed. But the vistas in the city and the locations look incredible. So I am excited, uh, but it's not going to be till 2025 without even a time of year, just 2025. So we'll see. 2025, which will be almost 14 years in development. Bill, I know you're not a super big uh, Grand Theft Auto guy. I've played all of them to completion since three, but I've been playing them since like London on PS1. I'm a huge Grand Theft Auto fan. Um, it looks crazy. It looks absolutely unreal and I'm super excited for it. Um, I played one, two and three and four. I never got into some of the other ones, but, uh, but no, I'm excited. I'll get back. He's coming back. Um, boys this week, we have no in the news segment because we have so many reviews. So we're going to go right on to the, should I go see it segment this week? We'll be talking about five films starting with American fiction, according to imdb.com, a novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from black entertainment uses a pen name to write a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. Bill, should I go see it? Yes. This is a remarkable film. I can't say enough good things about it. I honestly basically have no notes. It's everything works. Uh, this was another screen unseen movie. So this, as of this recording, probably comes out in another week or two, but I saw it a week ago at the AMC screen unseen. So I was thrilled when it started up and I saw Jeffrey Wright and I knew what it was going to be because I had just been looking for tickets to see this. So that was super exciting. Um, it's a, just to give a little more background on the, on the story, because I think that 
intro is like a little vague about it, but the actual plot, it's about a writer played by Jeffrey Wright. He comes home from LA to Massachusetts. So local movie, which is again, fun to see. Uh, He meets up with his sister and his mother and connects there. And he is very intellectual and his books are very heavy and they're not selling very well. And his agent tells him that the publishers want his books to be more black or more about the black experience. But he doesn't want to pander to that and contribute to what's happening in the literary world as he sees it, which is that the black experience is being flattened to just poverty and crime and stuff like that. But then his mother's health takes a turn and he decides to write like an over-the-top version of what he would consider a black book that he hates, but he does it anyway as like satire. Like he goes completely over the top, but his agent ends up sending it out and people start to eat it up and he needs the money. And so then we're kind of off to the races where he has, has under a pseudonym written this book that he despises, but is now becoming super popular and he needs the money from it. So that's like the plot, but the real story is just the characters, the family drama, the performances. It's just, it feels really real. It's, it's down to earth and you could tell that the it works because the audience was very audible. Like they were gasping at certain moments. Someone would make a harsh statement to somebody and they'd be like, oh, like out loud in the theater. Like people were like living it in the theater. Like it sucks you in to the, to the characters. Um, so it was great. It's just really, really smart. It's really well done. Uh, Bill, you got a stacked cast. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, John Ortiz, uh, Adam Brody, Issa Rae. Sterling K. Brown, there's a lot of heavy hitters in this. Anybody stand out uh, more than others? I mean, everybody's great. I think it's one of the strongest. The casting is one of the strongest aspects of the movie. But Sterling K. Brown, I mean, he steals every scene he's in. He's just, I mean, he's always incredible. But in this in particular, it was like he was a real treat. He plays Jeffrey Wright's brother, um, who doesn't live in Massachusetts. So he's only in a few scenes and the ones he's in, he's just amazing. So really great, really entertaining. And it being a local story, it was fun. They mentioned Dorchester and there's some familiar sights in it, but it's not a Boston movie per se. Like there's nothing in your face. It's not like fake accents. It's the opposite of Thanksgiving, uh, that movie. It's a Boston movie, but it's not in your face about it. So that was kind of cool. But yeah, American fiction, highly recommend. Uh, Bill, the next film is Saltburn, according to imdb.com. A student at Oxford University finds himself drawn into the world of a charming classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. Bill, should I go see it? Yes, absolutely. But first, out of the gate. Before- Can I stop you before you go? Uh, we might be talking, We're probably about, gonna talk about the same, same thing. exact thing. Yep. The trailer <laughs> is shown in 4-3. Yeah. Uh, I hate to break it to you. I hate to break it to you. What do we do? Why do we do? Why do we fuck? Why do we fucking do this? I don't know, AJ. I love this movie, but the first thing I have to say is I hate that it was in 4-3. I felt like I was missing information the entire time. It felt claustrophobic. It didn't feel like an interesting artistic choice. In fact, much of the movie takes place on at Saltburn, which is this giant estate with huge open gardens and giant rooms, and you can't get a good feel for it because the screen is crunched. Like, if you want to make a movie that takes place in the 40s and you want to make it black and white in 4-3 because you want to set time and place, it's gimmicky, but I won't stop you, fine. But this movie takes place in the early 2000s. There's just there's no purpose for it. 
Nothing is gained. No value is added. But like there, hate it. But even if it was in the forties or the fifties or the thirties or the sixties or the seventies or the eighties into the nineties, there's no. I don't understand the reasoning to do a four-three crop. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't either. It was literally the only true drawback to this film. Like I loved, as I will get into, I loved a lot about this movie, but that part was unconscionable. Okay. So, okay. Let's talk about the good. Okay. All right. Okay. So luckily the acting and the story is so like mesmerizing that by halfway through, I stopped noticing the four, three kind of, but as you mentioned, Oxford student uh, played by Barry Keough, befriends a rich student, gets invited into his inner circle, goes to the summer family estate, and then drama ensues. But the twists and turns are what make the movie, so I don't want to spoil any more of that. Um, But just know that it is weird and insane and over-the-top and soapy and fucked up. I mean, it's like a... It's it's intense. It's weird. It's a weird movie. I was going to say, how weird is it? Because on IMDb, if you scroll down, you can. there's tags that can be assigned to film. So if you're looking for a specific topic, I guess you can type it in. Sure. And then IMDb will... Sp- so the top five tags to this film, yep. which is, I think, will be an Oscar contender in several categories, are male masturbation, <laughs> male frontal nudity, male full frontal nudity, male nudity, and male rear nudity. Yeah, in four three aspect ratio. In four three aspect ratio. It is a, a uh, I, lot of lot of dick. There's, I mean, more than normal, so to speak, for Hollywood. How much is too much? More after this. It's it is a. I saw some headline call it like a psychosexual thriller, which I think is a probably a good way to put it. Uh, the audience was like nervously laughing at parts because it was so uncomfortable and weird, and I love that. I love when movies just challenge you as a viewer. So like, I was in it even with all the squirming. Wow. It's a fun ride. I think it's great. That was that was Dick Talk brought to you by <laughs> KM Foods. It's a hot dog connoisseur's choice. The original Frank crafted with a natural casing for a juicy flavor and that satisfying snap. Bill, back to you. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> it's... The movie's great. I'm telling you, the movie's great. Okay. I'm not like, listen, a dick never scared me, so I'm going to watch it. But I think- You will, I think you in particular will really dig it. Like, I think I texted you that. I'm a sick fuck? (laughs) Kind of. I mean, I think I texted you that after. You got to see it. You got to see it. It's wild. Um, Because you like fucked up shit sometimes. I do. So, like, I can try to draw conclusions of what a movie's this might be like, but do you have any, like- um? You know, similar films in this saltburn type thing, like thoroughbreds uh, or um, yeah, I think thoroughbreds is as an interesting comparison point of comparison. I think Men, the, that newer Alex Garland movie, is a similar comparison. This is a little more uh, light on its feet than something like the Alex Garland movies, but still some some like weird stuff in there. Thoroughbreds, good comparison. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to to pin down. It's it's great. I really liked it. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I know that the AV Club knocked it around. They gave it a C minus, but oh no, I did not bump on most of the stuff that they harped on in their review. I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
Do you normally, so when that happens, do you, do you tweet at them or do you comment in the blog post for the review when you're angry? <laughs> Neither. I keep it to myself. Oh, wow. I, I write my review. I post my review. Then I go check out what other people have written about it because I don't want to obviously sway my opinion. And I was sure. just, and I loved it. I came out high as a kite thinking like, this is one of the best movies I've seen this year. And then I check AV Club and the C minus. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So then I read it. I read it to see if maybe I missed something or whatever, but I, I disagree with a lot of their criticism. So anyway, uh, highly recommend. Okay. Well, as soon as it's on HBO, I will be tuning in to that D. All right. Next film, Godzilla <laughs> yep. minus one, according to imdb.com. Post-war Japan is at its lowest point when a new crisis emerges in the form of a giant monster or kaju baptized in the horrific power of the atomic bomb. That might be one of the best synopsises I've I've said or seen in the last 20 years. Bill? This is badass. I knew we couldn't sync up times to watch this opening night, but how good was this fucking movie? It was incredible, AJ. Absolutely incredible. (sighs) I... You have to see it in theaters. You especially, because you're a big kaiju guy. I love monster movies. But to anybody, you have to see it in theaters, because if you watch it later on your TV, you will regret the fact that you didn't see it on a big screen. Like, it is that type of movie. When they reveal Godzilla's dick, you need to see it. (laughs) It is. On the biggest screen possible. (laughs) Well, it's Japan, so it's pixelated out. Oh my god. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. It is a old-fashioned movie but made with state-of-the-art technique. Like oh. It cuz even if you took Godzilla out of it, you have a movie about a man dealing with post-traumatic stress after World War II and the aftermath of the Tokyo fire bombings and like the characters and the acting are compelling enough to be their own drama, let alone like the kaiju attacks that you're like, you're not sitting there waiting for the next attack. The actual story is that good. Uh, Wild. And of course, Godzilla wreaking havoc. Like you can't help but have a smile on your face. at just like the ridiculousness of the chaos. And it's the effects are so well done. Uh, the sound and the music and the editing and the camera shake and everything else is makes it try to feel like real and grounded. It's, it's a masterpiece of storytelling. Like I, I can't say enough about it. Subtitles. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Uh, in Japanese with subtitles. Um, uh, we're going to be talking about Monarch in the um, Netflix and Bill segment, which is the sh- Apple TV show based in the, what they call it, the MonsterVerse now, I believe is the, the terminology sure. that they're using. How does it compare to the other Godzilla movies that have come out? We have, you know, Godzilla versus Kong. We have the one with Brian Cranston, which was the... The one that yeah, the precursor, one. the one that came out in like two thousand one, like the Lincoln Park Incubus uh, Godzilla movie, <laughs> Matthew Broderick. Yeah, one. Uh, where are we where are we looking at? How does it stack up? I mean, I mean, I think this is the best one I've seen. Wow, uh, and it, and I like this one because it goes back to the origin and the roots of of World War Two Japan. Most other tellings, especially lately with King of the Monsters and Kong and all that stuff, it's all modern day. Like even the twenty fourteen one, it's modern day. Um, I went back also and I rewatch, or I didn't rewatch, excuse me, I watched for the first time Shin Godzilla from 2016, which is also modern day. Um, that was really an interesting movie and that was cool and that had some good scenes in it, but, but none of them hold up to, to minus one. It's just, wow. it's, it's the best I've seen. 
Uh, I'm not a Godzilla expert by any no, means. No, 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 no. I've seen most, but I've seen most of the recent ones, and this is is the best. I'm so excited! Will you would you go see it again with me? Hundred percent, right now. Wow. Uh, what are your top ten movies of the year? Top five? Top three? Uh, top ten at least. Yeah, top ten I would say for right now. I gotta just like sit down in January and compile the list. Sure. But as of right now, top ten definitely. Wow. Wow. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Wild. Okay. Um, I don't want to talk about it anymore because I really want to see it. Okay. Yeah, you guys just got to go see it. Next film, which I think is a Christmas movie. Uh, it is called Silent Night. And according to imdb.com, a grieving father enacts his long-awaited revenge against a ruthless gang on Christmas Eve, directed by John Woo. Bill, should I go see it? No. And no, and it, it pains me to say that because I was looking forward to this one. Um, it is by John Woo, you know, legendary action director. Uh, but this movie doesn't really work. Uh, and and the, the, the main conceit of the movie, if you couldn't tell from the trailers, is that it, it is dialogue free. There is no dialogue in the movie. What? That's why it's hence the play on the title Silent Night. Uh, uh. So it's a dialogue free revenge movie. And the problem is... Good dialogue and delivery is part of what makes action movies memorable and compelling. So if you take that away, like it's a cool theory. I like the concept and the opening and the training montages are solid. But ultimately, it just kind of feels dull and the action is okay. But the action is not nearly strong enough to sustain this entire movie, especially when you're talking about a year where John Wick Chapter 4 exists. Like if this movie came out in the early 2000s, it would have been... A revolution, but it just doesn't hold up in today's action landscape. Is there, I'm going to ask you a question before I forget. Is there a plot device that happens, which makes it a movie that has no dialogue? Or is it just a stylistic thing where it's like, uh, we're just going to play on this Christmas Halloween thing and we're just going to find a way to just not have dialogue? There is a plot element. So if you've seen the trailers, you already know the basic concept is, is Joel Kinnaman plays the lead character. And his son gets hit by a stray bullet in a, like a gang fight in LA. And then he kills his way to the top to fucking take revenge on the gang. But in the sort of shootout of the opening sequence, um, he is also shot in the throat. And when he recovers, he can't speak. Got it, got it, got it. So he can't talk to begin with. Now they do have some clever ways around it where like, his wife will text him and he'll text back and they'll show that as text on screen and things like that. But there's no real dialogue. Is there any... So again, interesting concept, but... Is there any way they could have made this work? Yes. I think they could have. Because again, I like the concept, but there's a couple things. One, you got to tighten it to 90 minutes because it's like an hour and 50 maybe. And again, the concept only goes so far. So you got to tighten it up, first of all. And I think you need to lean into the no talking concept and maybe have a little more fun with it. Like there was like this is a dead serious movie. But if you had a more expressive actor and you lighten the tone and maybe he made some funny faces because like he is self-taught and trained to be ruthless. And so he makes mistakes and there's some interesting things there at play, but they don't have any fun with it. It's just super serious. But the biggest issue is that Joel Kinnaman, I really, I think he's a great actor. I like him a lot, uh, but he's like not the guy for this. Like if you're going to commit to the actor using only facial expressions to act, 
you got to call in Tom Hardy. Like, that's your guy. If you want a magnetic actor that you who can sell the movie as just watching his expressions and reading him, that's Tom Hardy's niche. And Joel Kimmins is very, very good, but it's just not for this. Uh, and you need better action, like more original action, because like the third act is all dark and at night. And the biggest action scene in the movie is a fake oneer as he fights up a concrete stairwell, and there's tons of obvious hidden edits. And it's like we've seen that in No Time to Die, every John Wick, Atomic Blonde. Like we've we've been there, and we've seen it done better. So you gotta you gotta really deliver on the action to make this work. Uh, and Joel Kinnaman, for those who are trying to put a face to a name, um, he was like. Colonel Rick Flag in Suicide Squad. He was in the RoboCop reboot he that was, never went anywhere. Yeah, he played Alex Murphy in the RoboCop reboot. Um, He's also the main character in For All Mankind, for anybody who watched that Apple TV Plus show. Yup. And I think... And he was in that Netflix show, the sci-fi Netflix show, the name, I forget. He was Altered pretty good Carbon. in that. Altered Carbon. I like that first season with him. Again, I like him a lot. It's just this, this role asks a lot of the actor, and I feel like Tom Hardy... I know that's like the pie in the sky pick and then who wouldn't probably do this, but if you're going to sell it, you need someone like that. I think he also played Will on uh, House of Cards too, I believe. Yeah, he was in that. Yeah, you're right. He's good. He's good. I like him in a lot of stuff. That but, sucks. Yeah, that stinks. Yeah, this just needed, uh, needed a little more uh, time to bake, I guess. I don't know. It feels like there's an interesting concept that they just kind of threw out there and they could have done more with it if they, if they really tried. Is it a Christmas movie? Yeah, it's it's a Christmas action movie in the same way that that one last year with uh, <laughs> the guy from Stranger Things playing a killer Santa. Well, I don't remember the name of that movie. Santa Claus. Jingle all the way. Or uh, no, that's Arnold. Ho 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 ho. I machine, no, I machine gun. gun. Um, what, what the, the fuck, fuck was, it was it called? Violent Night. Violent Night. Violent Play Night. On, yeah. Play on Silent. There you go. Pun, puns. Yeah, so that, yeah, these are both action Christmas movies, if you want to call them that, sure. Like Die Hard. All right, uh, last film we'll <laughs> be talking about this week <laughs> is The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. According to IMDb, a guy with a name I can't pronounce mentors and develops feelings for the female District 12 tribute during the 10th Hunger Games. Bill, should I go see it? No. Nope. Uh... We're still doing this? Yeah, so this is my main gripe, so I need a little space with this. But Yeah, you get the runway. This is a prequel discussing the life of young Coriolanus Snow. Uh, who is that? And I'm not really... That's the guy who was played by Donald Sutherland in the actual Hunger Games. Uh, like the Emperor, Game Master, whatever you want to call him. Sure. But I'm not sure why this movie, besides being a cash grab, is, exists from a storytelling perspective. Because as we've talked about before if you're telling a story you should get in as late as possible and out as early as possible like if these characters in this world that you create as a writer exists uh then you need to be able to tell the audience like why are you looking at them right now and that's answered in the hunger games because the games have always existed but we're watching that movie because it is the story of the young woman who comes and topples the empire or whatever fucking happens in the hunger games so this story is about snow that doesn't need to be told, purely cash grab, doesn't add anything to the lore. Fine, you can make a cash grab. I, I, like, I get it. But the problem is the filmmakers are already starting out with both hands tied behind their backs 
because what makes the Hunger Games movies work is not the writing, because the writing has always been terrible for these movies. They always have stilted dialogue and Chekhov's guns and all this stuff. The other movies work because you had the novelty of the concept, which is now worn out, and you had the cast, which was the star-making performance by Jennifer Lawrence, Donald Sutherland, one of the most celebrated actors of all time, Stanley Tucci, Woody Harrelson, Seymour Hoffman. Like They made the engine go for those movies. So now you have a movie that has no novelty, because we all understand the concept of a battle royale. We have no familiar characters, and we have no stars. And so you're starting at a deficit, and they'd never dig their way out of it. Wow. That's my argument against this movie. Plus, the people who are big... I mean, I've only seen the trailers, but the people who are big names like... Rachel Zegler and Viola Davis and Jason Schwartzman and Peter Dinklage, they look ridiculous. And the acting seems ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... There are a couple good performances. Like Dinklage is pretty good. Schwartzman's pretty good. Zegler's pretty good too. Viola Davis is all right, but she gets stuck with such a ridiculous wig and face apparatus that it just ruins an otherwise fine performance. If the movie was going to work, it needed two things, I would say. One, Donald Sutherland. Like, uh, he's one of the best actors of all time. He's one of the things that makes the original movies work. If they did a parallel story of him young and old and crosscut then it might be more compelling. The old monarch. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, And the other issue I have with this movie, it's, it uses chapter markers and it's obnoxious to begin with. Like you're not, you're not Tarantino or Anderson. Like stop with the chapter markers. But the third act is post hunger games and it's brutally paced and it extends the movie from like a tolerable two hours to a two hours and 37 minutes. But if your movie has Hunger Games in the title, you have to climax with the Hunger Games. You can't do the Hunger Games and then have, like, that's writing 101. You can't then move to a third act that takes place afterwards that is slow and boring after you've already had the event. Like, it's just, you got to rewrite. You got to rewrite at that point. Does, I never saw past the second one. Does J-Law survive and does she come into the third act at the end of this movie? No, this movie takes place 60 years before the Hunger Games as we know them. No, no, no. You said You said the... There's a post one that that takes place after the Hunger Games. No, I mean after that year's Hunger Games. Like they, oh, it just continues the story of these characters. It's like the Super Bowl, AJ. They do it every year. What? But yeah, they do it every year. Who cares? Yeah, it continues the story of them after the Hunger Games, and none of that involves you know the Hunger Games. So it's less interesting by default, and it just drags the movie out brutally. Uh, I'll stick to my original uh, Hunger Games take, which is. So they should have made it an R movie from the fucking rip. Oh, 100%. That's another thing I had in my notes. This movie is bloodless. Like, literally. There's a point where a, a, a kid, for lack of a better term, gets impaled in the Hunger Games with a pitchfork. And then they pull the pitchfork away. No blood. And then the person literally, like, touches the wound and pulls it away. And their hand still has no blood. Like, it's just imaginary, I guess. I, like, I don't understand what you're supposed to do with this. Someone gets a bottle broken and shoved in their neck. Which is, I, I always love that. It's awesome. But there's no blood in the entire movie. Wow. Oh, my God. It's so frustrating. Awful. We hate yes, it. Should have been hard, Should have been R-rated for sure when they did this from the jump. We hate this. Dumb movie. Yeah. Didn't like it. Didn't work. Hope, hope, hope it never makes money, and I hope everyone has bad fortune. All right. Uh, let's finish this bad boy off. Uh, Netflix and Bill. Boys, what are we watching? And Bill... 
what do you have tickets to see next? Only other things I've watched for TV or Netflix sake. I did watch Mike Birbiglia, The Old Man in the Pool, his latest stand-up special on Netflix. It was pretty good. I like him in general. My only gripe with this one is it feels like every comedy special I've seen lately has like turned into a much deeper discussion of life and gotten serious at times. Like I feel like that's like the new thing is they're they're more revealing than stand-up comedy specials used to be where they just try to be funny. And like that's a little I think it's just it's just wearing on me a little bit. Nothing against him in particular, but unfortunately he's in the crossfire because it keeps happening. But still, it was good. Uh, and then I also started season five of Fargo, which is a Hulu slash FX show that is an anthology series. So you could watch any season of it. I actually skipped season four. I forgot about that. So I'd like to go back at some point. Uh, but this season five so far, Juno Temple, John Hamm, great cast. And it's very enjoyable. Um, it's on a week to week basis. So it's in the middle of the season right now. But Fargo, I've loved it. I love seasons one, two, and three. I just, I didn't catch four for whatever reason, but... Yeah, big fan. What's the connective tissue season to season? There isn't really, besides the fact they take place in in Minnesota. Um, One and two do share some of the same characters at different parts in their lives. So there is that. But beyond that, the story doesn't really connect to any of them. They're all anthology. So it's very jump-inable. Yeah, and they all have the same uh, tone, which is that Coen Brothers tone that was established with the film Fargo. So it's basically taking that type of storytelling and applying it to various TV seasons. Love a good dark comedy. Yeah, okay. I like it. I like it. What about you? Uh, I've been watching Monarch on Apple TV, which is the television cinematic universe tie-in to the new Monsterverse. Uh, it's okay. It directly so- uh, like is part of like Godzilla vs. Kong. Like it's not a... Yeah, it is part of... Okay. It is... It, the opening sequence of the first episode is... uh, What's his name? From Roseanne. John Goodman. John Goodman re, redoing his character from Godzilla vs. Kong. Or, Kong, or from Kong the Kong Skull movie. Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah leaving Skull Island with a, a package that becomes the MacGuffin that right. kicks this whole right, thing right, off. Right. So Monarch, for those who forget or don't know, was the organization that was started when they first started you know, chasing or figuring out what these Titans were back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. It became like this global like spy agency post, they call it G-Day, Godzilla Day, from the... Brian Cranston film, which kind of kicked off this new thing of monster kaju films. So now Godzilla, Mothra, all those people are in the same universe as King Kong because they share the rights to all of those things and they've placed them into the same universe where Titans have lived in the core of the the globe for the last millions of years and have found their way to the surface and there's ties in, like, you're talking about Godzilla minus one, and they start talking about Japan and the spikes and levels that they saw post um, bombs being dropped. And they, they start doing tie-ins where, like, now you can see where, like, the, the arms are going. It's it's okay. Uh, Kurt Russell and his son are the lead characters, and they play the same person. They play... They play I love that idea. 1940s Kurt Russell's son, and then they do current day of Kurt Russell playing him as 
85 or whatever, how old he is. And it's really cool. They do some really great sequences where they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll change the scene or do a, a, a focus change and it's, you know, Kurt Russell or his son. And you're like, Holy shit. I, yeah. I love that idea of why Russell and Kurt Russell playing the same character in different time frames. Like the fact that you have such accomplished father, son actors to do that. Yeah. And you can find a way to utilize it and they both sign on to the project. Like it's great. It's a great idea. I'll tell you what, the writing is not good. <laughs> um, it is, it is poor. The CGI and the effects are pretty good. I mean, it's, if you like, Kaju, if you like monsters, if you like the Godzilla monster verse, like you got to watch it. But like, if you're looking for something that's going to blow your socks off, like it's not, it's basically like a Indiana Jones meets uh, Indiana Jones and, uh, you know, like uh, national treasure meets Godzilla, basically what it is. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Bill, what do you got tickets to go see? So I have another screen unseen coming up. So this will be the third one that AMC's done. Um, it sounds like it's popular enough that they're going to keep going with it. Uh, and they tend to be Mondays. Uh, and so I'm excited for that one. So we'll see what that brings. We, the collective, should I go see a podcast crew? We'll be going to see Wonka together. Going to get wonked together. So that will be a fun recap. Wonka. We're going to get wonked. Wonked. Uh, I got a ticket to see Aquaman, which is the, I believe the last DC film as we know it before the James Gunn reboot. Begins. Wonka Man? God. (laughs) Wonka Man? And I did just recently get a ticket to Iron Claw, that wrestling movie with Jeremy Allen White and Zac Efron. Um, That looks pretty, uh, A24 movie looks pretty good. Zac Efron looks yoked. Dude's roided out like crazy. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. He's got that roided body. you, You gotta do it. He's got that turtle shell stomach from just the bloat. He looks absolutely insane gigantic what a specimen in that trailer i can't wait for that that's gonna be so fucking good yeah uh and then the other thing i'm gonna watch soon uh the hallmark movie that i've been assigned for this podcast boys rattle them off one more time so everyone knows what we're watching i'll be watching christmas in notting hill it's on the dvr ready to go (laughs) Craig, no i did uh, I'll be watching Checking It Twice, where a journeyman hockey player falls for a real estate agent in a career <laughs> crisis when he's traded to her hometown uh, and moves into her uh, col- uh, hockey-loving family's cottage. Love that. And I'll be watching Holiday Road, which is basically uh, planes, trains, and automobiles with 20 no-name C-list actors. <laughs> Outstanding. So if anybody wants to join in by watching any of those, we will be discussing them as our as our news segment most likely next week with our book reports. Pre-Christmas ep. Yeah. Our our annual Craig and I drink a whole bunch of bourbon and act really stupid, and Bill gets to just watch the stupidity. Right. Can't wait. Merry Christmas. So join us next week on the Should I Go See It podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.